Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. It's a very interesting set of set of circumstances that created this movie. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't really think this movie is gay as fuck. You don't? No. It's a little bit. There's some homoeroticism going on. And in a non-judgmental way, too, which is cool. Well, I mean, it depends on how you, how you want to look at the homoeroticism as it is represented. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's not making any any judgments in the movie like here's a guy's fruit basket it's just part of the shot because i'm not thinking about that right you know hi folks and welcome to zompocalypse now <laughs> as usual you join us in the middle of a conversation and i am tim i'm justin i am curtis and we are discussing one of the more divisive in terms of the franchise interesting in terms of history and certainly one of the nightmare on elm street films i got new life in the last several years as it's been reassessed a little bit by fans uh for a number of reasons um one of which is the gay subtext and not so subtext and that's be part of the discussion we have and since this month we are talking about queer representation in horror films films with uh the certainly an influence in the storytelling or an emphasis on the characters uh, and for good and for ill, because we let off with Hellbent, which I think to some degree was, well, it really was. It was a slasher film that happened to have a gay cast. Our characters were gay. And then we followed it up by High Tension, which has a lesbian character, but it, a lesbian lead, but it is also a film that kind of falls into the lesbians or gay people as evil. Right. It, it, it leans really hard into some bad gay stereotypes. And the real, the only real problem with something like that is, uh, I mean, especially to talk about it during, during pride month as our, one of our pride films is that I went and did some research after. Mm-hmm over the course of the last week or so. And uh, there aren't a really good, there's not, there's not a lot of lesbian horror. I mean, you could, you could look at something like the hunger as a lesbian movie, but I think it falls somewhat into some of the same tropes that we dealt with in high tension, especially considering that it wasn't made by, uh, you know, lesbians, for a you know for a queer audience it was made the, the lesbianism was more of to to add to elation there are a couple of more modern movies whose names escape me i feel like one of them was named tully but i know that's wrong about a lesbian couple kind of in a in a rosemary's baby sort of situation hmm. okay but of course that's a, i i can't remember the name of it now we didn't talk watch it so why discuss it no, I can't wait to see it. So, <laughs> oh, that was about last week. Um, Still, fuck that movie. 
Right. So I actually, while I was watching it, I came up with a better queer reading than than what is sometimes the expected reading. But I would just like to say, before we get into any of the stuff, that I really liked this movie when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. And then tonight when we rewatched it, I really liked it again. So, I liked it too. I, I have kind of mixed feelings about it because it's so very much not in tune with the original film, which, which has got pros and cons. There's something to be said for don't be a slave to the mythology. Try to do something different. However, some of that came out of the production of this film and not because this, this film was rushed to into production Mm -hmm. and uh, a little bit of backstory here. uh, Wes Craven had no intention of making a franchise. And right. he he had nothing to do with making this film, of course. Right? Um, no, no, no. It was like all all this ownership legal nonsense, and they decided and the producing company decided to cash in. Yeah. They, yeah, they knew they had a commodity, so they went with it. I think it's important to note that this movie had nothing to do with the original creator. Right, yeah, and and uh, Wes, Wes Craven uh, originally intended the first Nightmare on Elm Street to have a happy ending. And of course, we, instead we got the you know not Bless so happy you. ending. Uh, so this is this was rushed into production. Uh, the script was written in, intentionally by the writer to have a gay subtext. Uh, he did not tell people at the time. This was, of course, eighty five. Is that real? Yeah. Well, and the, I thought here's... it was all on accident. Like every. No, well, bit. here's the here's the problem with the with this writer. Um, because uh, in the research I've done, you, you know, a lot of attention has come back to Nightmare on Elm Street too, in, in recently, and some of the things like he denied that there was any kind of gay subtext up until like the late two thousands, right? Which is something that basically helped ruin the career of the young actor who was in this movie. It made it seem like it was he. The writer made it seem like it was all his interpretation, and it basically ruined this kid's career. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know, man, because he didn't. Like, he didn't. He's not going to work for Scorsese. That guy. No. Well, he's going to. Yeah. He's going to do. You know. But, but here's the thing, Curtis. This kid who uh, let's let's bring Mark up IMDb. Mark Patton. Mark Patton, this was his first movie. Like, seriously, never done anything before. Yeah, was he great in it? He tried really hard. And, you know, given what he was... Dude was all right. Dude was all right. Well, and in in fairness to him, there's a lot of questionable acting in this movie. Right. It is not the best performed of, of... of films now of course this look is an, again 80s horror film there's a whole lot of that going on and and not just on this movie there's a lot of horror films that we love from the 80s where if you watch them again you go wow these people are terrible uh right but you're not watching it for that you're watching it for the kill you know you're watching yeah. it for the for what the, the monster does yeah yeah it is utterly it is completely forgivable that they th- that they are passable actors because they're all kids. Uh, who, they're all young. Can't, right, right. You don't, I mean, I don't know what the writing rules are, but to me, you don't give in a film 
you don't give like a 16, 17 year old kid a monologue ah. or put them both in the same room to deal with an emotional thing, you know? Yeah. Just keep it simple for them and move the story along. But man, God, when they had that kissing scene, that was like the most awkward. It okay. really should have been Grady. Should have been Grady the whole yeah. time. I said early in this movie that I'd love to see Nightmare on Elm Street 2 remade where the gay subtext is text. Loving yourself. And so essentially, at the end, Lisa is not Lisa pulling Jesse out of homosexuality and into a nice moral straight path. What Lisa is, is Jesse reaching in and accepting the love of someone else. Someone else that is accepting that you can love yourself and that other people can love you for who you really are and coming out and finally coming out for himself. And now, of course, at the end, the, when Freddy Krueger's claw comes out of that girl, it's that those ho- those homophobic, that internalized homophobia, just like internalized racial bias, in t- in just like any other thing that is part of you as as part, you being part of the culture, is always going to rear its ugly head again. I think that's just as valid a reading. You got that reading out of it, which makes it a valid reading. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah but, um, but what do you think the writer intended? Do you think he was going that way or the other? Um, I don't, hard to say. I don't think that the writer meant to say anything good about gay people. I the, mean, writer, well, the writer represents the general public right. making judgments on how you do things. You know, and then also, no, I'm yeah. not good at. I'm not as good at this. This is hard for me. I'm sorry, and I, I kind of am feeling very cerebral tonight. I guess. I my, think you're in a good spot. <laughs> my, uh, my uh, film, film, film analysis is coming out way strong. That's really interesting. Well, you know, <clears throat> there's. <sighs> There's a lot of ways to look at this film from both a production side, from a theme side, from a franchise side, from a how it was perceived back then versus how it's perceived now. As a reminder, um, this film was not popular when it was released in terms of critical yeah. acclaim. Audiences were very divided. It did make more money than the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. Which is why we got seven. Yeah, which is why there were there was, <laughs> uh, if there had if it had not that franchise would have been dead. Um, and all some, they had to do is make a profit. That's all they wanted. Yeah. Well, and they did, there's there's a couple of interesting things that I think are really really good here in that this is this was the last film. There are really are of until uh, West Craven's New Nightmare, where Freddy was actually meant to be scary, right? Where he wasn't meant to be funny. And there are moments in this film where Robert Englund does that, you know, shows again and again and again in here and in, in New Nightmare that he can be pretty terrifying just by yeah. body language and facial expression. You know, looking past the makeup, the way he carries himself, the way, the way his, he looks at someone, the man can project menace. And when you consider just how, how pleasant looking he is in real life and, you know... 
That dude people, looks like he was made by someone who is kind of okay at making shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's a nice fella. Yeah. You know. And he's um uh you know so so on one hand you have this very scary Freddy Krueger and and he's he's got a lot of menace in this film. On the other hand, <laughs> all the mythology from the first film is ignored. I mean, it's right. mentioned in passing. Yes. But there's there nobody dies in dreams in this film. Right. The, nobody else dreams about Freddy except for Jesse. Yeah. Well, that's. I thought that was what made the film work. Is that it wasn't rehashing a formula; it was coming up with a new way of making Freddy scary, focusing right. its attention on one character. Which I is, thought that worked pretty well. Which except I think, for, oh, go ahead. Go actually, ahead. I would say, which I would agree with, except we never actually get a sense of what Freddy's abilities are in the real world because it changes from scene to scene. And the, uh, and the critical scenes of the film actually play out like nightmare sequences versus the real world. The right. entire last, you know, the climactic scene of this movie actually takes place in what in every other Nightmare on Elm Street film would have been inside Freddy's dream world. Right. And, and, it, and it plays like one of those scenes. And, you know, not only that, by focusing so much on Jesse and Jesse's relationship to Freddy, when Lisa comes out as a, as that final, uh, for that final girl showdown, it's like, what the fuck's Lisa doing? Like, she has not had any interaction with Freddy except for through conversations with Jesse. Well, I mean, she has the, she has the interaction at the house, but even then... It's established. It's established that she believes in psychic bullshit. So that when Freddie is finally introduced to her, she's like, "Okay, this is exactly what I've had." Now we do have to point out that she clearly has some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, emotional deadening going on because oh, yeah. to any of the thing the terrible things that happen around her to anything resembling human emotion well it, she's not supposed to because she's supposed to be like you know freddie eats screams so she right she's got to chill out which but is it's like great she for an actor care to about do. anything you're right yeah you know well she's just, a rich girl and she's gone to her anyway <laughs> Wow! Although, oh, although it's, uh, if what's if we were of, not monetized, we would be demonetized from that probably. <laughs> if uh, we do have to, the other thing to point out is that the adults in this film, her parents actually, yeah, they are not horrible. The active su- in supporting of their child in their way, parents. Yeah, and every parent and then, we see, which is kind of weird to see in a horror movie. Um, there's, there's weird. This film is very odd. I, I like it in the sense that it is something new for the Nightmare on Elm Street film series, and especially it's very brave to brave is in air quotes here uh, to do it with the second film when none of the original production team are involved. Right. You know, the only person that actually is from the original film is Robert Englund, and he was not originally in this movie. The, the, they were actually going to recast Freddy with a stuntman. Mm. 
and they said he basically moved like Frankenstein's monster and he wasn't scary. And the only scene the stuntman appears in in the version that we saw is we see like his arm in the shower scene hmm. when he kills when he's when he's attacking the, the coach. Um, but yeah, well, it, the makeup in this movie, I thought. I thought uh, Freddy Krueger's makeup in this movie was a little shoddy. It looked too thick on his face. It did, but if you remember the original, the original movie, we don't see Freddy's full face in in anything but heavy shadow ever. So, I mean, we can't talk. I mean, you can't talk about. They did light him. They did light him full front. Hell, they had him outside at a pool party. Yeah. See all the damn mistakes they made. Do you want to go through this beat by beat? Because what you said about what you said was, I don't think we could improve on that. I don't know that. Well, we, it's there's not a whole lot of beats to this movie, to be honest. Right. It, yeah, it's got like. Four set pieces. 20,000 years to get to the fun part. Right. It's a slow edit. It's a really slow edit. Right. See, that's why... Okay, so I never actually got around to seeing the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. I heard it wasn't great, and I feel right. bad. Is that it, it, doesn't tread, it doesn't tread enough new ground, and it also puts... it Very early on, you're actually kind of given... They try and give you a reason to not necessarily sympathize with Freddy, but they try to make him a slightly more human person Mm -hmm. and less of a, I mean, you know, he's, he's a child molesting murderer. That should be the end of the discussion, but they try and give him more depth as a person before he's killed and comes back. And it sets the tone of the film off yeah he's like i don't know what you heard she came on to me yeah it's 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 there's just a weird vibe to it that never quite goes away um the performances in it are fine i mean it's uh it but because it doesn't really tread any new ground it doesn't have necessarily the tension that it should and see that's why i think this would be a good a good one to remake they could do some of the things that they can correct some of the things that were wrong give lisa more to do make jesse's homosexuality actually canon uh and dream world or just the dream this movie would have been so much more compelling if they if they if you're right if it wasn't subtext yeah if if it was like a real issue that was happening this movie would have been so it would have had lovely depth, and even though you know the blood looked like Hunt's tomato ketchup, oh, the blood is terrible. Okay, so let's. Do we want to talk about it? Like, go through it. Well, I think I think we we can talk about we can talk about this. specific things. Yeah. There's some specific things that need to be discussed. Okay, everybody, yeah. everybody can get two big scenes that they want to talk about. Okay, How about that. That sounds good to me. Okay. Well, Tim, why don't you? Well, Curtis, why don't you go first? You know your two scenes. Um. Uh, the, uh, well, the okay. My first scene is going to be the uh, death of the uh, gym coach. Okay. Um. 
the spanking, dude. The spanking was incredible. Right. Well, the fact that they go that, that to get there, uh, Jesse leaves his house, goes to a fetish club, and yeah. essentially is is picked up, is cruised by his gym teacher. Well, you know, Jesse just walks in. He's like, here's a bar. I'll just go in this one. And then everybody's kind of getting freaky. He just heads up to the – he's like 17, and he just goes, I'll have a beer. Right. Which was and, poured in a in a in a glass that I have. A, I've been to a lot of bars in my time. I've never had anyone push give me one of those glasses to pour a beer. In. Yes, Curtis, and, you you spent some time as a bartender. What beer was he given that that's the proper glass for? That was a Budweiser that he was given, but he poured about three ounces into a tumbler. Uh, not a tumbler, a a, 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 a lowball glass, and. And starts to sip it like he's got a fucking cocktail. Oh. Ah. And and, uh, and the gym coach, what's his name? Schneider. Sam- Schneider. Schneider comes. He walks up. He is full on uh, Judas priesting it up in this. Oh club. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, and so he blocks his hand and he's like uh 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 we're gonna go take a shower at the high school right and uh while dude is taking a shower um well makes him run laps uh, oh (laughs) but you know that's just like some sort of weird foreplay yeah it is it's just get your buttocks warmed up we're about to we're about to take a shower (laughs) Um, and, uh, I assume his buttocks were warm. He was enjoying his shower. Yeah. He's just hanging out in there. Meanwhile, Schneider's in his office being pelted by ghost balls. (laughs) Yes. Well, like why, like what in the fuck would is Freddy Krueger doesn't do that. Does he, he doesn't just make dumbbells fall off a shelf to scare you. And not only that, um, Pretty traditionally, Freddy Krueger's targets have been young people. Yeah. And the coach is not a young person. He's a guy in middle age. And he's, I mean, this is not to say that adults have not been killed in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. But when you think about the number of people who are actually killed in this movie, um, there really aren't that many. It's hard to tell how many kids die at the party. Right. In terms of actual big scale kills. There aren't that many. Freddy doesn't yeah. rampage, dude. Freddy doesn't no. rampage. Well, he's well, and, and what it should be is he kill he he lures somebody to, into a nap, kills them, and then lures somebody else into a nap, and then kills them. In the biology class, that should have been some rando, his yeah. friend Cooter, who yeah. fell asleep and was strangled by, by a snake. Anyway, yeah. what? But we're not talking about so, that scene right now. Right, right, right. So. Um, Schneider's getting, he's like super athletic too. So he's ducking out of the way and he's like, pew, you can't. And he's like dodging and weaving, gets on the floor. Everything comes off the shelves. Every single thing. There must have been 50 million tennis balls and 35 soccer balls in their own little nook mm. in the fire, in his little office, which I thought was hilarious. I was like, they all got their own little nook. It's like got one ball in this nook. The same ball in the nook next to it. It was fun. Anyway, 
So he's ducking and stuff, and then he gets jump rope tied around his wrist and apparently invisible Freddy for whatever fucking reason um, <laughs> is dragging him down the hall. Why wouldn't Freddy just show up for that? Nobody's around and he's trying to terrorize a guy, but no, we get the guy still, by the way, wearing his uh, Judas priest regalia. It's fetish, fetish, wear. fetish wear. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what Judas priest was doing. They, I mean, you know, Rob Helford was a, was a gay man, and he didn't come out mm. until later and freaked out a bunch of people who wanted to dress like him all the time. It was actually kind of hilarious. Google I, it. Uh, yes. Google. Charles. Yeah. And so, anyway, so he magically gets tied up in the shower, and 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 the boy... Stripped naked. Oh, yeah. The whole time, Jesse's just watching. Just watching. Just, I don't understand this. Let's see how it plays out kind of thing. And so this is why, by the way, I kind of think that there was no Freddy Krueger. It was all the boy all the time. Mm. Um, because teenagers are insane, especially when they're sexually confused. Right. And that's why I was saying this is, this sequence isn't about, you know, Freddy Krueger you know, killing uh, the gym coach or whatever. This, What this is about is the situations, the sometimes scary situations that young queer people will put themselves in to try and find that community. Right. Like this, that, I'm sure this shower scene is a metaphor for all that that I don't understand yet. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, so he gets tied up, and then uh, to his horror, he is spanked relatively gently somewhat you know with towels on his buttocks because apparently in this young man's mind um that's what you do that's what you do in a shower to really scare someone and then uh then he comes out of the corner with a glove on and slashes him up and the dude dies then he runs away cops bring him home dad's like what are you on you bitch and and you know, yeah. Then then he thinks that was right. the that was the point of this is to is to make him doubt his sanity. Which, well, is he? That's a question that never gets answered. Well, well, and and this is another one of those scenes where it supposedly is taking place in the real world, mm-hmm. but it plays out like a dream. In I couldn't tell what was what. Well, I couldn't, in terms of everything from the moment he walks out of his house. To the moment that he's brought home, all of that completely works as a dream sequence. Right. And then he discovers the next day that the coach is dead. If he and but if it's played when it's played out for it being real, then his reactions to everything don't make a, almost any sense whatsoever. Why did he go walking out in his pajamas without thinking about anything about it? Yeah, Why in, he- in his pajamas to a, to. A- why did he why did he let the coach take him to the high school? Yeah, I know. I mean, doesn't anybody in the in the mid eighties go, look, man, I have rights. Well, not <laughs> only that, this is not school. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to tell me what to do in the outside world. Right. Oh, and then earlier when 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 uh when Jesse they're being punished by the coach and Jesse asks Grady for they got because they got in a fight. That's how they met. That was Grady and Jesse's meet cute, is that they got in a fight. Um Grady says 
Jesse says, how long can he keep us out here on this punishment? And Grady's like, he can keep us out here all night. He likes to do it this way. And I was like, no, he fucking can't. <laughs> Eventually, your parents are going to come looking for you. Yeah, the, the teachers don't actually get to keep you after school. They don't actually get to do that. I mean, if it's a well, punishment. I, I wonder... I wonder if there was a scene that was cut from the movie that was the coach walking through the locker room, smacking people on the buttocks with a towel. Yeah. Well, good job, you bunch of dirty animals. Yeah, You're so filthy. Boys. You naughty, naughty, dirty, naughty. You, you teenage boys, you teenage taught body boys. Oh, oh. Well, but then, right. so you, then again, if without that scene, it makes this whole sequence again feel more like a dream sequence than a real thing. Yeah, and it filters into what whatever is going on in terms of of what Jesse's dealing with. Uh, you know how what what he's what he could be projecting onto his image of the coach, uh, because this scene. If this scene is real, then we then this is who this is who the coach is, um, and although but we still don't quite know what that means because they don't actually talk. Right from the bar scene to the coach's death, there's yeah. no dialogue with these yeah, guys. Really well, not, the coach doesn't so really have any dialogue, really. Anyway, it's all all of his dialogue is kind of like off in the background what's going on over there like every time that he catches them doing something or walks up to be a part of whatever scene jesse and grady are involved in he doesn't actually say anything to them it's at them yeah yeah Yeah. i mean so it's it's really kind of weird because i mean if you if you take this scene to mean you know uh you know whether the the traditional invitation or what you're talking about dustin um then it actually plays out almost better as a dream sequence because then it's then it's Jesse processing these things. Right. But if it's taking place in the real world, it plays out very strangely because there's no conversation between these two people and there's, and Jesse's reaction to the, uh, you know, the assault on Schneider is so blank and so disconnected. Um, that it runs the risk of turning into one of the things we did not like about high tension, mm-hmm. which yeah. is that disassociative state between the character that we're supposed to be sympathizing with and the murderer inside them. And this is, uh, that's one of the things that as I'm watching the flatness of reaction that we yeah. get from Lisa, that we get from Jesse uh, that you look at these characters and you think, if this is taking place in the real world, these are really damaged people. And they, we never, the, the movie never deals with that. Right. You have someone like Grady, who actually has um, a fairly, he's probably the best actor in the movie, aside from, from uh, Robert Englund. And he's actually got a range of emotion in the course of this film. And he actually... You know, he's yeah, and he's he's kind of funny too. You know, he's he's yeah. got the, he's got some of the bit most depth in this movie, and of course, he's not the main character, and that's you know, a bit. But of I bet I bet he had a career after this, though. Well, let's have a look. Uh, Robert Rusler is still making films and TV up till twenty eighteen. Uh, he's fifty four. 
and he's been on a ton of TV. He's so is Kim Meyer, actually. Kim Meyer has continued to work. Who played well, Lisa? Well, she's the Annette O'Toole of the 1980s. Oh, I bet I... I thought I Annette O'Toole was the Annette O'Toole of the 1980s. Uh, late 70s, early 80s. I, uh, I imagine... She, I know she looked familiar, and uh, she was on a lot of episodes of The Pretender. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. And she was in Hellraiser Bloodline. Nice. I mean, I guess. I can't really remember. <laughs> I remember her. I think I remember her section, but we're not going to go into it. Um, but uh, that's, that's really the, 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 that went on a long time. That, so I'm not going to do a second scene. But I will say that whatever the guy was doing in that love scene to between her tits was really weird. And I hoped he would stop soon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all the intimate scenes between there were what was supposed to be intimate scenes between Jesse and Lisa. I am in love with Jesse. Grady had better sexual chemistry with Jesse than, yeah. than oh, no Lisa question. did. Well, it's like they read like they read like best friends. Lisa yeah. and Jesse read like best friends, which actually makes if you strip out the quote unquote romantic scenes all of their scenes together are improved and the ending of the movie is actually improved up right. until the, the stinger at the end, but her going after Freddy Krueger to rescue her best friend makes perfect sense in terms of, right. You know, you, you go to save your best friend. That's what you do. You don't give well, up on your best friend. And when she says, I love you to him, it's much more believable to me that she's saying, I love you to her. To get right. Her. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say he's been friend zoned. She did try to bone him, but like, but what Tim was saying, if you if you ignore that scene, if you take out this this ridiculous makeout session that they have, and just leave, you can even leave in some of the sweet little friend like little kisses on the cheek and stuff like that. But if you if you just read it as you know, their friendship is what the strong love is. It just becomes a better relationship. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Let Grandpa Curtis fill you in on something. Okay. If if you have a relationship with someone and friendship is not the foundation of it, mm-hmm. you're probably going to fail. Yes. Oh, no, that's sorry. I sorry. Probably the forty I'd of you. Damn, damn certain it's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sooner or later, you got to talk. Right. <laughs> Eventually, eventually, you're going to need a glass of water and something to eat. There's only so much sex you can have before you have to replenish the body. And awkward silence is never a good effort. Darling, get your mouth off my pussy. I need to ask you a political question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was funny. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. Okay, who wants to go next? That was me. Well, I'll, 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 I'll pick up right with the whole relationship thing because we have a really critical scene here when Grady is killed. Oh, yeah. Um, and and Jesse, Jesse kills Grady, and it's a, it's a fairly effective, especially for mid-'80s, uh, effect sequence where Freddy emerges from Jesse. Mm-hmm. Like, he comes out of Jesse's body. In a and decent special effects thing. Decent special effects. If you don't, if you don't look too close at Jesse's uh, 
latex face. Except, right. yeah, if, you, if, if, you, if you ignore the fake head, yes. Um, but what's classic, interesting is, is that Grady reacts like a person would react if their friend suddenly split open and another person stepped out of them. Yeah. Okay. He's yep. freaking the fuck out. Bugs right out. Dad, <laughs> like let me out. He's at the door, screaming for help. Um, and that's another scene that, that would have read so cool as a dream sequence, especially considering that the, the moment before Grady, Jesse falls asleep and Grady is lying in his bed and he says, good luck, buddy. And then he lays down. They could have done that as a dream, and they chose not to. Well, and it plays it again. It's another scene in the film, like a dream, and it, you just needed a you just needed a waking up scene later mm-hmm. after the fact. But then when then when Jesse confronts Lisa in blood, <laughs> just dripping with. Hey, blood. I just showed up just now, and I've got blood, <laughs> and, and she's like, eh, "You're." No, it's not. You're fine. And he's like, I, I have blood on my hands. And it is one of the most anvilicious <laughs> moments I've seen in a long time. Because he says, I have blood on my hands. And you see him standing there with blood on his hands. And it's like, And, wow, and Lisa's that's... like, everything's going to be okay. It's like, yeah. no, no. Uh, look, okay. Look, I think I said. <laughs> I, th- I think I said kind of early in the film. I could tell, or maybe I didn't say it. But you can really tell if someone wants to have tell them that you just killed someone, and they're like, "No, it's fine. We can still be. <laughs> it's okay." It's well. You can really power, tell at that point. So the power of voters, male and female. Yeah. Well, here's if the- you're in a bar. Just tell someone you killed someone, and if they stick around, you're going home with that person, and probably murdering them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, likely. And the, here's the, but here's the problem: it's established early on that this is Nancy's house, and that Nancy left a diary about her rea- her uh, interactions with Freddie. Yeah, and Jesse is some is uninterested. He is un. Interesting. Right. You know, you you go to save your best friend. That's what you do. You don't give up on your best friend. And when she says, I love you to him, it's much more believable to me that she's saying, I love you to her friend than it is to a romantic. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Not to say he's been friend zoned. She did try to bone him. But like, but what Tim was saying, if you if you ignore that scene, if you take out this this ridiculous makeout session that they have, and just leave, you can even leave in some of the sweet little friend like little kisses on the cheek and stuff like that. But if you if you just read it as you know their friendship is what the strong love is, it just becomes a better relationship. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Let Grandpa Curtis fill you in on something. Okay. If if you have a relationship with someone and friendship is not the foundation of it, mm-hmm. you're probably going to fail. Yes. Oh, no, sorry. I'd, I'd say sorry probably. The 40 I'd of you. Damn, damn certain it's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sooner or later, you got to talk. Right. <laughs> eventually, eventually, you're going to need a glass of water and something to eat. There's only so much sex you can have before you have to replenish the body. And awkward silence 
is never a good aphrodisiac. Darling, get your mouth off my pussy. I need to ask you a political question. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Okay, who wants to go next? That was me. Well, I'll, 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 I'll pick up right with the whole relationship thing because we have a really critical scene here when Grady is killed. Oh yeah. Um, and, and Jesse, Jesse kills Grady and it's a, it's a fairly effective, especially for mid eighties, uh, effect sequence where Freddie emerges from Jesse. Mm-hmm. Like he comes out of Jesse's body. In a and decent special effects thing. Decent special effects. If you don't, if you don't look too close at Jesse's, uh, latex face except yeah if you, if, if, you, if you ignore the fake head yes um but what's classic, interesting is classic. is that grady reacts like a person would react if their friend suddenly split open and another person stepped out of them yeah okay he's yep. freaking the fuck out bugs right out dad <laughs> like let me out at the door screaming for help um, and that's another scene that that would have read so cool as a dream sequence, especially considering that the the moment before Grady Jesse falls asleep and Grady is lying in his bed and he says good luck buddy and then he lays down. They could have done that as a dream and they chose not to. It, you just needed a you just needed a waking up scene later mm-hmm. after the fact. But then when <laughs> then when Jesse confronts Lisa. Covered in blood, <laughs> just dripping with. Hey, blood. I just showed up just now, and I've got blood. <laughs> and, and she's like, eh, "You're no, it's not. You're fine." And he's like, "I, I have blood on my hands, and it is one of the most anvilicious film <laughs> moments I've seen in a long time." Because he says, "I have blood on my hands," and you see him standing there with blood on his hands, and it's like. And, wow, and Lisa's that's... like, everything is gonna be okay. It's like, yeah. no, no, uh, look, okay, look. I think Young I said, <laughs> I, th- I think I said kind of early in the film, I could tell, or maybe I didn't say it, but you can really tell if someone wants to have sex with you if you tell them that you just killed someone and they're like, no, it's fine, we can still be, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It's well, you can really power, tell at that point. So, the power of voters, male and female. Yeah, well, here's if the, you're in a bar, just tell someone you killed someone, and if they stick around, you're going home with that person well, and probably murdering them. Yeah, you know, likely. And the, here's the, but here's the problem it's established early on that this is nancy's house and that nancy left a diary about her rea- her uh interactions with freddie yeah and jesse is some is uninterested he is uninterested but lisa takes the diary she says oh, i'll read it and but that's all we get except for her every once in a while like giving some sort of nancy information Mm -hmm. if we had been given more of lisa researching reading the diary and researching made her more of a of a central character to this because Mm -hmm. she ultimately is our final girl she's the one who ends up fighting freddie in the end yeah well you know um that was the moment they decided because she should have 
like realized this is a thing that belonged to someone who died tragically. Maybe I should give this to an authority in case it's relevant to that murder. Mm. You have that choice or, hey, let's be the Scooby gang. Well, I mean, okay, Curtis, think about it. If you found if you found the diary of the person who lived in the house before you and you started reading it and it started doing shit like he was in my dream again, would your, would your first thought be, oh, I suppose I should return this to the authorities? To the- no, no, but I'm not a, a puritanical redhead who's just hanging out with a friend boy either. I would try to publish that shit. <laughs> and cash right the fuck in. But, you know, it sure. can't always be me. You okay. were saying, Tim, before I kind of interrupted. Oh. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, there's, it's, it's a, that's a scene which is taking place in the real world, but functions in no way like reality. By the way, Grady does not live in that house or did not live in that house. You had to, he had to get from Grady's place to Lisa's place, covered in blood. <laughs> and yeah, nobody didn't even drip the whole trip. Didn't nobody drip. notices. That's they because just... Hunt's tomato catsup is a very thick consistency. <laughs> <laughs> and it will stay where you put it. That They do that. He they test it. I saw leave. it on how it's made. He did not, in fact, leave a trail. But his boy, that stuff was like coating his hands. Um, well, and, and, and then the... It, almost the immediate scene following, really, because that's when Freddie emerges at this pool party. Uh-huh. And it's a c- very curious scene to me because on one hand, again, what are the rules here? What is the lore? What's the logic? How does this work? Because, okay, Freddie died by fire, so the water boils. Okay, I can get that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All the heat burst into references. flames. Okay, cool. That's I, I kind of get it. Um, that seems to sort of work. And yet when Freddie emerges, he's he, and he's in there in the real world, he is, there's a smorgasbord of his favorite food in front of him. He is good. This is all the kinds of kids he likes to kill. I know. He's like, nom, nom, nom. And yet I can't, I, I, I could not actually tell what the body count was in this scene. Well, it's like four. Yeah, yes. it's like four. About oh, four. but if you look at I, I, uh, fun fact: all of <laughs> the confirmed kills, all the people you see him actually kill, mm-hmm. boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did oh, yeah. you notice Reese. that, Curtis? I did not notice that. I felt that was uh, the natural course of things. I didn't look for it. There are no female victims in this movie. Well, there's only, aside from the two mothers, there are two female characters in this film who actually have dialogue. Mm-hmm. This film fa- fails the Bechtel test. Well, the, like, uh, the, the daughter, she's like, what the, time well, is it? Okay the, little, okay, the little sister. Okay, so you have the little sister, you have Lisa, and then you have Lisa's friend. That's it. <laughs> Whose name nobody remembers. Nobody remembers. Lisa's friend. Her name is Lisa's friend. Lisa's That's friend. Right. The saucy pool exhibitionist. Luckily, luckily, she actually became friends with someone named Lisa. So it worked out. Everything worked out for everybody. But it's, <laughs> it's just it's such a it's such an odd sequence because this could have been like 
a really terrifying scene because here's Freddy in the real world. And he literally says, you are all my children now. And then turns around and walks away. And then turns around and walks away. Literally the next second. And the emotional connection he's supposed to have, the thing that's supposed to be holding him back here is that Jesse doesn't want to hurt Lisa. But these people aren't Lisa. And these Lisa's people, watching, though. Well, he knows he's not going to tap that if she sees him kill a whole crowd of people. At this <laughs> po- honestly, at this point, considering how many times she said, no, fight it, I know you're in there, you can beat him, um, I'm pretty you sure... You can be straight point, again. He's pretty sure that he could you basically sit there and go, I'm sorry I murdered word. your dog and your grandma, and she'd take him back. Right. Um, the way this film is set up for that. It's oh, weird- one dude pushes his grandma down the stairs. He just gets grounded from pool parties. Well, yeah. you know, what can, what can you do? Grady's got to be the bad boy. It's We we talked about that two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, they just leave it. Grady says, I'm grounded. I push my grandma down the stairs, and they're all like, okay. oh. Yeah, well, nobody nobody bats an eye. Why in the well, hell would you do that, Grady? Because grandma's a bitch. I mean, clearly, that's the, sub, that's the subtext there. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I met your grandma. <laughs> <He's awful. laughs> yeah i like that subtext I'll take uh, it. but it's just i mean so you have you have these scenes where it's like for for what the film is you know you get this great you know freddie emerging and murdering grady which is actually one of the best kill scenes in the film because you don't actually see him it's one of the best it's one of the best freddie kills in the canon like that, the Grady scene is one like Freddie fans. That's one of the best scenes. And you see less than you think you do because you don't actually, you see, you see his, the blades come through the door yeah, mm. and in front of his father, which makes it even more powerful of a scene is that his dad's on his mom and dad are on the other side of the door trying to save him. And there's, they see the blades come through. There's no question that they see that. And then you see his face, and that, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really impressive kill. But you have that scene, and then you have Freddy confronting all these delicious children to kill, and he offs like four of them. Freddy don't rampage well. Includes it, include, sure. well, the, including the dumbest, well-meaning. <laughs> give him credit, well-meaning, but dumbest guy on the block. Uh. It's going to be okay. We just want to talk. What's what seems to be your issue, sir? How may we assist you? We're you know, not going to hurt you. It's like, yeah, we're not going to hurt you. You're right. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, you have these, you have these weird, weird contrasts between a scene that's really well done, and then this scene where it's like the brakes were on, but hard. And it's like, like, let's dance up to the edge of making Freddy really terrifying and g- give Robert Englund the body language and the expression and the dialogue for this scene to be nightmare fuel. And then let's right. sit there and go, ah, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but the good thing about that scene is that now Jesse doesn't have to go to prison for murder because everybody saw the giant claw-headed monster, dude. And well, they, all those murders can be pinned on, but nobody well, saw Jesse turn into that dude or come out of that dude. Well, uh, whose uh, whose fingerprints were on the windowsill when Jesse escaped from Grady's house? Grady's house. Well, it doesn't matter because 
you know, am I a giant six foot tall dude with blades coming out of my my self? No, I'm not. I'm tiny little gay Jesse who was in your son's room for don't worry about it why <laughs> <laughs> you got yeah, pretty, pretty sure you watch the lawyer would sit there and go your honor they were friends he was over all the time and did you note recently we had a string of attacks on teenagers by a knife wielding maniac perhaps <laughs> jesse is not in fact your killer pretty sure you get yes, off on perhaps. the cops are all like well, why the fuck did you call us i don't I don't care. Oh, this is that kid we found wandering naked down the street. All right, we didn't have production money for no, ma- uniforms. No, why were you? Why were you walking down the street naked, Jesse? Never mind. Why? <laughs> 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 what do you want? Totally ecstasy, man. <laughs> I have to have my dick out right now. Sorry. <laughs> my scene is going to have to be. When when Lisa goes to confront uh, Freddie at the factory, our denouement. Yeah. Yes. Um, and like I said, I feel like it doesn't work that Lisa suddenly like has all this agency because she has not had a single like barely a mumbled thing to say yes we were supposed to understand that she was the one doing the freddy krueger research but she has been unhelpful and uninteresting for the last hour and 20 minutes like it didn't work for me i i'm sure that you know in what was it 1984 85 85 that, you know, when I was watching this on HBO, uh, when it was out in like 87, when I was like 11 years old, I was really into it. Like, yeah, she's going to, you know, I, but but when you look at it with a, any kind of critical eye, you it would be like the bellboy that Tyler Durden worked with at the the hotel that was there for like five minutes ended up stopping the bombs in the, you know, like, no, it doesn't, it, you know, she's not that much of a character to give her that kind of power. Well, yeah, but they, well, they did hire her. So they had to, yeah. Well, interestingly enough in the original script, uh, it was, she only had like 10% of the storyline and she sort of just pops up at the end. Even so, even in the original script, it was worse than this. For her yeah. to pop up. And Wes Craven, uh, one of his, what involvement he had was to look at the script and go, you have to give her more to do. You, a, you make her more the final girl uh, and give her more to do. And they actually tried to go, apparently they tried to go for a 50, 50 waiting between the two characters, which clearly didn't happen. Right. Not, I mean, maybe that, maybe there, maybe it was in filming, but it definitely didn't survive the edit, but this could have, it could have been much, much worse. It could have been do to do to. And who is this young lady who has appeared from nowhere to save yeah. the day? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Lisa. Like, well, part of me, you know, that scene, and I almost wanted her to sit there and say, I come from a long line of demon fighters, and I have known, my people have known <laughs> oh. about you. Because, oh, yeah. because that's entirely what that scene feels like. Because she's such a, 
She's such a non-entity, and this is not. Right. You know, in, in all and she fairness, figures too much shit out off-screen, and then try, trips in to the to the drop exposition on Jesse. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, she's really just exposition girl until she gets involved. But even then, her involvement is mostly to tell him that she loves him and to cry. And this is not bashing Kim Myers, by the way. This is the character. Kim Myers is the actress. You know, she's working with what she's got to work with. Absolutely this gorgeous. This character is, is, there's, it's, I love you, cry, fight demon. I love you, cry, fight demon. <laughs> Ta-da. I mean, that's, that's basically her Well, no, it's, story. it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, get driven to school for the first 30 minutes of the movie. She doesn't like, they barely even have any interactions except yeah. for her looking at him through the fence. Furtive glances. While he's developing a relationship with Grady. <laughs> <laughs> Grady seems cool with it. I mean. Yeah. Well, I want this to be remade. I want it remade and I want it to be fucking awesome. But you know what? I, in some respects, his relationship with Grady was like some of my relationships with some of my gay friends in high school where they had no interest in me as a romantic partner. I had no interest in them as a romantic partner. But we were friends who hung out and they were gay and I was straight. And- um, I'm sorry, Tim. I've got it interrupt you but if your relationships with your gay friends in high school was like jesse and grady i have to make you something because those dudes wanted to fuck you yeah they totally did because great there is no way in the world that jesse does not want to fuck grady there's literally he Grady says it. You have a girl waiting for you in the cabana, and you're here. And you want to sleep with me? Well, yeah, and that was actually one of the lines of the film where it's like, so I thought it was supposed to be subtext. That's not subtext. <laughs> no, but I mean, in terms of in terms of a remake where you would actually, if even if you kept some of these things, even if you kept these two having this Jesse loving. Uh, Grady, but Grady not seeing him that way. You know, those are relationships that that we have, whether you're gay or straight. No, funny story is that when my friend Todd came out in high school, we were working for Pizza Hut, and this was the 80s, so there were not a lot of places to hang out when you were a teenager. So when we were not working at Pizza Hut, we hung out at Pizza Hut. Uh, And so one day we're sitting there, and he's making a list. I'm like, what are you making a list of? And he goes, the guys I know that I find attractive. And I'm like, okay. You're dying to know. And you? there's, how can you not ask? <laughs> and I'm like, where am I on the list? And so I'm yeah, like, what? so, and he goes seventh. And I was like, oh, and I was like, so on one hand, I'm a little hurt, Todd. <laughs> and on the other hand, Okay. <laughs> I think that's a good number for you, Tim. I'm thinking about it, about our Kansas City friends. What do you mean about number seven? Yeah, I put you at probably about number seven. That's all right. See, at least I'm consistent. Like my kiss is consistent across 35 years, 36 years later, I can still hit number seven. I, it's not bad. And Curtis, just so you're, uh, when we first met, I would have probably put you at uh, 45. Yeah. 
Uh, but then you, you, uh, got your, I got to know you and got, you got your haircut. And, uh, I think, I think you would have been probably four or three. Oh, 16, probably. No way, Curtis. Uh, Top 10. You're both top 10. You're definitely higher than Tim. I don't know. Well, that's because I, you know, Tim is, Tim looks like he's smart. I look like I can fuck. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Oh my God. I don't look like that at all. You, uh, you have to. I, anyway. I, 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 I fail to see the the problem with your actual sentence, though. <laughs> well, yeah, you're you're super good looking and smart. I'm mediocre looking, and I look like maybe. You're, no, no, you are both good looking men. I'm totally don't. fishing. This is working out. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say take the compliment, but if you're fishing, never mind. <laughs> yeah, just give me more of it. Um, I might have been uh, a little stoned. A couple of I did. I sent Curtis this hilarious message a couple of months ago, where I was like, "Hey, you know, I never like. I was just thinking about how like I never like like flirted with you or sexually harassed you or anything because I feel like it would have gotten real, real for me real fast." <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, you know. Yeah. You know, I always had to look at Curtis. It's like he's he's Curtis. He's a sweetheart. Not you know, because if I thought started looking at Curtis, like, hey, that's Curtis. He's a. Uh, that's why I'm single. I'm I'm terrifying when it comes to commitment. Everybody knows they're going to have to do it, but nobody really wants that. <laughs> I want Pride Month to last a couple more weeks. Hey, you know what? Here's the thing. It's our show. And and quite frankly, while we are coming up on the end of this month, there's the documentary about oh, yeah. about just uh, Mark Patton's life. And, I don't. And, I think we just did one. I don't think we got to watch that. Oh, I I want to watch it. <laughs> I tell you well, what. Maybe will, we. You know. I'll send you. I'll send it to you guys, maybe and we, then we can yeah. we can decide if we want to talk about it. We should definitely keep talking about these movies because this is not. We have not reached the end of this subject matter. You know, something talking about some of the things that are the the more recent films that have gay characters, even I was just thinking about this. Um, I remember one of the first times I saw an effective uh, and somewhat heroic. And this is, this is, this is a telling thing because, uh, you know, born in 1970 teenager in the eighties, most gay characters were either played for laughs or as a threat. Um, And when you get into horror films they're usually either well they're very much stereotypes um do you remember the movie single white female i do do you remember one of the uh curious things about that film is that her next door neighbor was gay and our villain tries to kill him uh at the end of the movie he has no interest in being killed. He bashes her head into the wall. <laughs> and it is a fantastic scene. I was looking at this, and I remember watching it, because, of course, at this point, I had, you know, I was, I was very aware that my gay friends were sitting there and going, yeah, that Eddie Murphy bit was really funny. Ha, ha. <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's, it's, it was not... You know, particularly helpful. Peter Friedman. Peter Friedman played uh, uh, Graham, her next door neighbor. And he basically grabs her head, 
Jennifer Jason Leigh's head and bashes it into the doorframe. And I was just going, yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's, you know, he's not lying down and dying. It's, it's actually, you know, it was actually a really little moment, uh, but it was actually something you didn't see. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, on a much lower, smaller level than that, Hollywood Montrose in, uh, uh, in mannequin, he, you know, takes on all the security guards and his line at that time, at that, uh, at that moment is, you know, I love kissing boys and getting in fights. (laughs) And you know what though? I was thinking about this earlier. The, the, uh, I, I, about movies from about 1983 to 1987, I would, I would say they're 80% misogynistic. Yeah. This movie sure. didn't really even get into the, the misogynism in this movie is very low. And I appreciate that about this movie because um, no, there was no gratuitous things that happened and everybody was dealing with their problems in a real way. And it had a female heroine, you know, well, kind of a female that showed up and was you know. <laughs> did a thing. She yeah. came in and said, "I'll take care of all of this." Well, and she's not a standard. <laughs> she's not a standard final girl because she's not actually the person at risk here. Right. She is. She's the person who, well, through the power of love, because I'm, and that's uh, at the end of at the end of this. It it falls back on on a trope that I really don't care for in horror when it rears its ugly head, which is, I love you, and through the power of love, I am saved. Ta-da! Yeah. And, you know, because if you think about it, exactly how did she defeat Freddy? What was the mechanism? How did she pull it off? Fire? Well, well actually... She employed the "you're not real," which is, which is, or or you don't scare me, or you know, but it's, she did it badly because the thing that made it so effective when uh, uh, when Nancy originally did it was that she had matured as a character to the point that uh, that the boogeyman, no matter how real he was, had no real effect on her. Well, he, she was, she was also defying him in his place of power. Yeah. So it made it even worse. Here, Freddy's in the real world, and right. so saying, "I don't, I'm not scared of you." If you're, if you're, if you're Freddy Krueger, and you've passed over into the real world, and this girl, you can't kill her because you're the person you're possessing is is not letting you. You know what you do? You say bye, and you go kill another teenager somewhere else. One moment I really, really liked, and that's when. Uh, after he kills uh, Grady, he's like arguing with Freddy Krueger, right? The young man, Jesse, is is having this conversation. Then he throws something at Freddy Krueger and he cracks a mirror. I didn't see that coming. I thought that was lovely that that he's seeing himself as Freddy Krueger in that mm-hmm. moment. And I didn't. I thought they were two separate beings, but then they weren't, and then they are, and then. They weren't, and then they are. Yeah, well, if, if, they'd, if they'd leaned into these scenes that play like dream sequences and actually made them dream sequences, that scene would have been a really great point where you sit there and go, okay, everything from that point on, you could really mess with people's heads between what is real and what isn't. 
They could have they could have stood to stick with at least that much of the formula. Well, and if if the if Dustin does get his remake, because here's the thing, Robert Englund is getting old. Yeah, he is aware that he is not going to be playing the part of Freddy Krueger any, again anytime soon. He's going to um, be close to seventy, right? Well, he's planning. He he's ready to pass on the torch, and he a year ago I think said he wanted Kevin Bacon to pick up the mantle and, and be Freddy Krueger because he thinks Kevin Bacon could actually be scary and, and pull it off. And Kevin Bacon, yesterday, as we're recording this, it is June 27th at this particular point. Kevin Bacon yesterday said, I'm up for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Then. So, you know, maybe maybe you get a, maybe you get a, a version of... of this movie remade and you get to sit there and give, you know, the actual gay subtext, uh, just text, push it more, maybe more back in line with the general mythology or, or just make it more consistent some in places. So when you do break out of the mold, it has more power. Mm -hmm. So lots of things we could do with it, but and lots of things we can do with other films. And again, yeah, Curtis, there's no reason. Pride Month is as long as we want to make it. It's our show. We can do what we want. Wow. Mm-hmm. We want to watch. Yeah. I think we should do a, a, a series on uh, maybe some of the weirder sci-fi things. Yeah, we yeah. can do that. You know, just whatever we want, right? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of different stuff that we can actually touch on because there's a lot of sci-fi horror. Um, when, does, when does zombie season hit again? Uh, we have no idea. So The Walking Dead... Oh, they haven't even been shooting, have they? No, uh-uh. and they're not sure when they're going to start shooting again because it's not a film. It's not a show that you can make in social distance. No, you can do it with uh, a camcorder in the woods, I guess. But Yeah, so... In fact, we're, but we're a not zombie's even, still got to grab you. We're yeah, still somebody's sure got to do that, make it. Yeah, we're still even sure when we're going to get the final episode of, of this most recent season. Uh, so that's still... Maybe next month is one of the rumors, but that's not even that's not even a confirmed thing. So. Those guys better not be sitting on their hands. They better be writing good scripts. They've got time to work them, time to workshop and you know pitch and all that stuff. They got time. They be should be lovely. making something amazing right now. That would be a lovely idea. We'll yeah. see if it plays out. Oh, oh. So um, I don't know if we actually talked about this since I guess we're done with, with Elm Street too. Um, somebody. At um at a Comic Con or something, asked Kim Dickens because this was after the the trailer for for Walk Fear the Walking Dead right. uh, came out. There's a scene in the trailer where there's a person in a prison, and uh, and that person has like blonde hair, and you can just see the back of their head. And people asked Kim Dickens, "Is that you? Is that Madison?" And all Kim Dickens said was, that's not me. That's not Madison in that scene. In that scene. I am so, so, I'm going to be, I just am so positive that she's coming back next season. I'm so positive. I can't even express to you, like, how. Well, I didn't know she was supposed to be dead. I'm going to be. Hey, (laughs) nobody, nobody, no death. Yeah. Right. So. She's a well, survivor. We've established that. Well, right. Tim Dickens wants to go shoot the Deadwood movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
here's the thing. This is what no one has confirmed, but it's the big rumor. She wanted to go shoot the she had to go shoot the Deadwood movie. She wanted off. So they did a thing to kill off, air quotes, Madison, this whole big thing where she explodes. But no one ever sees the body. And then they talk all the time. Curtis, they talk all the time about no one's gone until they're gone. Like that's almost the new motto of Fear the Walking Dead, no one's gone until they're gone or whatever. Right, yeah. And it's like, if she isn't (laughs) alive, the way that they have set this up over this season where she was not on the show, if she isn't alive, they they have done a bad writing job. They're, They're bad writers and they did bad writing. She'll show up all fucked up looking and get shot in the head, and that'll be it. Well, I think she's. I think she's gonna show up and save Morgan from his certain death, and then they're gonna go fuck up those people that kidnapped. Uh, oh, Alicia. somebody! Why in the fuck can't people work together when in times of crisis? Well, they, they can. do. In, yeah. in the real world, they do. No, they don't. Yes, no. they do. No. Yeah, they, they do, actually Curtis. do. No, there ain't nobody doing anything good around here. Okay, well, I think we're getting into a weird spot, so I think we should wrap it up here. I want to make it weirder. Can we do another 10 minutes? Daddy wants to go get some chocolate milk and then go to bed. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I think I'll have a chocolate. So is that subtext? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so this is is a film that you completely get why people read a lot into it and what was intentional and unintentional and it's open to interpretation. It's really not. And for a film that and kept the franchise alive and divisive as it was, uh, it has, it, it's had a fairly long success for a oh, lot of 80s horror films. A it's a really films. fun movie. It's really fun. It could use a little tightening on the edit, but oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's surprising. It holds up pretty well. So, we will definitely return to this particular topic. There's a lot more films that we can discuss, uh, and we'll have lots of other films to talk about in the future. And, of course, we would love to hear what you folks would like us to talk about. If there's a film or a type of film, a type of genre that you'd like to hear us discuss, we would love to hear that from you. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can message us on both Facebook and Twitter. Find us at Zompocalypse Now. If you type that into the field of, of either one, you'll, you'll find our pages. And we would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Harvey. Uh, Dustin is at the Night Dusto, and Curtis is at Creepy underscore Curtis. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again next week, gentlemen. As always, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you, Tim. And Let the power of love protect us. Yeah, <laughs> I ain't afraid of no power of love. <laughs> There's a, there's a Huey Lewis song in there somewhere. Anyway, um, and on that note, we will bid you all adieu, and we will see you guys next week on another episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions. <laughs>